0: So we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 if you have a Bible, but the verses will appear on the screen. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. And uh, we're going to see some people that Jesus interrupts and he changes their plans. They thought things were going to look one way. And when Jesus interrupts them, when Jesus enters their situation with an invitation, things look very, very different. So we're going to see some fishermen. Let's look at... Let's look at uh, verses one to three. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's also known as the Sea of Galilee or the Lake Tiberias in different places in the Bible, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He sought the water's edge, two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So this is very early on in Jesus' ministry. He's done a few healings and a few miracles. We just read in the previous chapter that people came to him the night before this and they brought all the sick and he laid hands on them. And we also read that he healed Peter's mother-in-law or Simon's mother-in-law as he is at this point. Now, some people would say maybe that's why Simon denied him later on because he healed his mother-in-law. I'm not going to go there, but this isn't, the encounter we have today is probably not Simon's first interaction with Jesus. There has been some interaction, but Jesus is going to take that further today. Jesus hasn't picked his team yet. In those days, rabbis picked, or actually followers chose rabbis, but in this case, The rabbi is going to pick his followers, people who are going to journey alongside him as he ministers, and who are not only going to journey alongside him, but who are going to continue his mission after he goes. And so it says this, it says that uh, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, it was probably early in the morning, because we see that the fishermen were finishing the night shift, the people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. I love that. That when the word of God was preached, the crowds came. Now, I'm sure some of them were there for different reasons. Maybe they wanted healing. Maybe they wanted miracles. But the word of God preached in the power of the Spirit will draw people. And that isn't a popular opinion today. Because what I am told and what we are told is that nobody wants to hear the Bible anymore, that the Bible's irrelevant, it's outdated. In theological college, I was told that the perfect length of time for a sermon was eight minutes. Yes, you can imagine, eight minutes, that is a perfect length of time for a little homily about recycling and why we should all put out our green bins. That was the sort of thing that we were encouraged to preach, and there's nothing wrong with your green bins, by the way. But uh, but we were and then and then even as we, we went into twenty twenty in March when every church in the world suddenly realized we had to go online and we'd never done really that before, what generally was happening in most churches was we were being told this that that you want to keep it casual, you know, maybe on a sofa, maybe in a cafe, and you don't want to preach a sermon, you want to just give a little sort of five minute pep talk with maybe a wee worship song in the background. Just, you know, something light, something motivational. Don't go too, maybe 10 minutes maximum, but keep it, keep it you know, very sort of, very almost talk showish. And at that time, God spoke to me and he said, Craig, I want you to preach the way you've always preached. I want you to preach the word of God and I want you to do things the way you've always done it. And I don't know too many churches, and I'm not saying this, I'm just saying what God spoke to me. He said, my word has power, my word has authority, and when my word is preached in the power of my spirit, people will want to hear it. And so every other church nearly that I know, we're doing all these creative eight minute things and cafe things. And we have the band in here and we're recording them doing 25, 30 minutes of worship, then I get up and preach for 40 minutes. And it shouldn't have worked. It shouldn't have worked, apart from the fact that God honors his word. And when God's word is preached in the power of God's spirit, it draws people. And that's why some of you are here. Some of you are watching online. There's, you know, some of you passed 233 churches on the way to be here this morning. But some of you are here because during lockdown... You went through every miserable church that you could find who were lamenting how awful life was. And then you found a church where there was faith. You found a church where people weren't denying the reality of the problem as someone who had COVID. We weren't denying it's a real thing, but we were declaring that there's a name higher than COVID. We were declaring that fear is not our uh, default. Faith is our default. That we will not back into a corner, but we will see this as an opportunity to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we proclaimed and preached the word of God and the power of the Spirit, and God blesses his word. It's never changed. It's never changed. It might be not culturally acceptable. It might not seem to be relevant in a soundbite culture, but God will always bless his word when it is preached. And the crowds are gathering around Jesus. We're told here there's no social distancing going on whatsoever. And then over here, there's some fishermen who have been out all night. And they're just cleaning their nets or finishing up for the night. And they're not even part of the whole thing. They're not part of the crowd. They're innocent bystanders, if you like. And yet they're going to get drawn into the Jesus story. They're going to get drawn into the life and ministry of Jesus. And you know, there's people who go looking for Jesus and they find him. And there's people who weren't looking for Jesus and he finds them. When I went to Summer Madness in 1990 as a teenager, I was not looking for Jesus. I was looking to pull down tents and find nice girls. But Jesus hijacked me. In the midst of it, in the last night, on the 1st of July, 1990, Jesus hijacked my life. I was not looking for Jesus, but he found me. And Peter, Simon as he is here, wasn't looking for Jesus. He's probably still annoyed about the mother-in-law issue. He's just, he's just, Washing the nets because that's what they did, and yet he has this encounter with Jesus. Jesus will interrupt his plans, and Jesus steps into one of two boats because the crowds are getting so much. He's getting pushed back further and further to the water's edge, and so he steps onto Peter's Simon Peter's boat. And I don't know if he asked for permission. I'm imagining he did, and that boat becomes a pulpit. That boat becomes a platform for the word of God to be preached. I love what it. Says that they were gathering around Jesus to hear the word of God. You know, when you come here and you hear the word of God, you hear me preach in the Bible. When they gathered around Jesus, every word Jesus spoke was the word of God because Jesus was God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. When Jesus spoke, the word of God was speaking. I would love to have been there. I would love to have heard that. That, Imagine hearing the words from the lips who could speak to a storm and it would cease. Imagine hearing words coming from the lips who could speak into a tomb and a man called Lazarus would get out and walk. How incredible must it be to hear the word of God from the lips of Jesus. When Jesus spoke, God was speaking so they were hearing the word of God. And so Jesus gets onto the boat and that's the first step or the first stage of obedience. Where Jesus says to Simon, can I get onto your boat? And he says yes. And it's a small act of obedience. But here's what I've discovered. That great things in life begin with small acts of obedience. Most of the the significant moments of our lives don't look significant when they happen. Most of the pivotal moments of our lives that have shaped us and turned our lives on a certain trajectory, at the time when they happened, they didn't seem like a big deal, did they? Think about it. Those of you who are married, when you met your husband or wife for the first time, did you instantly go, "I'm going to marry them"? I mean, I know Becky did with me, but that's that's different. But when I, you know, those those first moments, you didn't realize when you saw a job in a paper or online and you applied for it, you had no idea where that was going to lead you. When you were surfing that dating website and you saw that handsome woman, did you? I love calling women handsome. I just think it's, a, it's what they used to do in the olden days. I tell my wife she's a handsome woman. She, she doesn't love that. Um, but, uh, you know, we, those moments where you, where, you, where you start a conversation with someone, where you walk into a room and somebody's there that you didn't expect to be there, where you encounter someone or even take a wrong turn somewhere and end up somewhere you didn't think you'd be. Those moments can be full of significance, but you don't realize it. But small steps of obedience lead to great blessing. Small steps of obedience lead to great blessing. And we'll see that as we continue through this. He says, can I get onto your boat? And his reply, his response, will change everything. At any stage in this process, Simon could have said no. Jesus doesn't force himself upon any of us. When Jesus asks us to do something, we can say no. But I believe really strongly prophetically at this time that some of you are going to have yeses or nos. You're going to have decisions to make. Things are going to be presented to you and they may not seem so significant, but your yes or your no in that moment, is going to have huge ramifications for your future. And so what I would encourage you right now, in these coming days, as you are presented with opportunities or open doors or people or resources or whatever that is, before you immediately respond with a yes or no, say, God, what do you want me to do in this? Because I really believe right now, your yes or no is going to be incredibly significant for some of you. Some of you even right now are considering jobs. You're considering career changes. You're considering moving locations. You're considering starting a new uh, venture or, or a new business. And I believe those decisions are going to have huge ramifications for your future. But you need to hear what heaven says about those. Small acts of obedience to Jesus lead to big changes. And we see the big changes And we admire them and we want them and we see them in other people but we don't see the small acts of obedience that went before that. You see, we see the platform but we don't see the process that took the person to the platform. You see me up here doing what I'm doing, completely unprepared, got up at 4.30 this morning to write this. That's what you see. What you don't see as a 17 year old getting on a train to Ballymena then getting on a bus then walking into a school to speak to a bunch of teenagers who really didn't want to listen at a scripture union then walking back getting on a bus getting on a train and coming home again. You see we see the stuff on the platform but we don't see the process that got there. And anything that's done that's great in life for God isn't done in one big act of obedience. It's done in lots of little small decisions along the way. You're a yes to Jesus. 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 And this is Peter's first yes to Jesus. But it won't be his last. Look at verses four and five. When he had finished speaking, this Jesus he said to Simon put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've been working hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Peter's probably a bit grumpy at this stage. He's a fisherman. And a fisherman only really has one job, and that is to catch fish. It's their livelihood. It's how they pay the bills. It's how they support a family. If he's got a mother-in-law, he's married. It says his mother-in-law was living with him. That's a whole other thing. But, uh, but he's now got to go home and tell his wife with his mother-in-law in the background that he hasn't caught a thing all night. You can imagine Mrs. Simon Peter saying, so handsome, strapping husband. How was your night of fishing? Not great. Mother-in-law... Pipes up in the background. What do you mean, not great? What did you catch? Did you only catch forty fish? No, not not exactly forty. Mother in law still piping up in the background. Thirty? No, no, no. A bit lower. Don't talk about it. Gonna have a bath. Twenty? Shop. She turns to her daughter and says, You should have married Barnabas. He's an accountant right now, you know. Should listen to me. Because us men, there's only one thing worse than failing. Actually, there's only two. One is failing at something that we should be good at. For Peter, this was his job. He should have been good at fishing and he failed at it. And secondly, is having to admit to somebody else we failed at it. That's why, ladies, we don't ask for directions. Just so you know. Men are meant to be hardwired from the caveman times when we went out to hunt and the women looked after the children in the cave. We are meant to be hardwired to be able to find our way somewhere. So anytime we have to stop and ask for directions, it is like the most emasculating thing in the world. So just let us drive around in circles for three hours. Okay? If it's to be a good rest of the holiday or whatever it is, just, just, you know, or gently go, why don't you try that? You look at your phone and sat-nav. And Peter has to admit here to Jesus that he hasn't caught anything all night. And he's probably frustrated. He's actually probably disappointed. He's to go home with nothing. When you give it your all, we've been working hard all night, he says, and we've caught nothing. We've caught nothing. When you've given it your all, I talked about this a few weeks ago. When you give something your all, when you invest in something, you expect a return. And so there's probably disappointment in his heart. There's probably frustration in his heart. He's tired. He's hungry. He just wants to get home. And there's only even one thing worse than admitting that you haven't caught anything and that is when somebody gives you unsolicited advice. How many of you love unsolicited advice? How many of you have somebody in your life who loves to give you unsolicited advice? You know, you really appreciate it, don't you? Especially when that advice seems completely ridiculous. Jesus says to Peter... Peter, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, t- to go back out and I want you to go into deep water and I want you to let down the nets again. Now this is wrong on all sorts of levels. It's the wrong time and it's the wrong place. Wrong time and the wrong place. And there's certain things you don't do when it's the wrong time and the wrong place. Six years ago I walked into a, a building... And I sat down, and about three feet in front of me were four guys sitting. And they looked fairly normal. One of them looked a wee bit alternative. He had longish, dark hair. But they were just sitting there, and I could have reached out and touched them, which sounds creepy, but I, I didn't. But they were, just, they were literally that, that close in front of me. And after a few minutes, I, I realized who they were. The guy here was called Bono. This guy was called The Edge. This was Larry Mullen Jr. And this was Adam Clayton. Some of you are like, it's you two, okay? So you, like, you two, because you only listen to praise music. Um, it's you two. You two were sitting three feet from me. No security, no place around them. What a perfect selfie moment right there. What an Instagrammable moment. Facebook, me and my friend Bono. You know. I could even maybe put my hand as if I'm praying for him or something, like, you know. What a perfect moment to get an autograph. Here's the problem it was a funeral. Wrong time, wrong place. There's certain things that you do and there's certain things you don't do because it's the wrong time and it's the wrong place. And every fisherman knew two things that the best fishing was done at night. And that the best fishing was done close to the shore. And Jesus says this, go out into deep water. And it's daytime now. Wrong time, wrong place. Yet look at his response. Yet because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. If there's one sentence that sums up how to live the Christian life, it is that. Jesus, because you say so, I will. Even though it doesn't make sense, because you say so, I will. Even though I failed there before, because you say so, I will. Even though I've done everything I can do in that area and it hasn't worked, because you say so, I will. Even though it sounds ridiculous, because you say so, I will. That is the essence and the heart of the Christian life is doing what God asks us to do. And obedience is not an attractive word today. We love words like breakthrough, advancement, grace, eh, blessing. Obedience doesn't sell a lot of Christian books. And yet if you want to live a Christian life that actually means anything, the response of your heart has got to be this. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't do, But because you say so, I will. And Jesus, and this, I didn't say this in the first service, but I feel the spirit on this right now as a word. Jesus is calling him to go to the place where he has just experienced failure and disappointment. To go back into the water where he has experienced failure and disappointment. And I believe for some of you, God is asking you to go back to a place where there was failure, where there was hurt, where there was even heartache and disappointment. Some of you will know, if it's you, you will know that. You will have a really strong sense of that already and you're resting because all you can think about is how it didn't work out the last time. But for some of you, the word of the Lord today is this. It didn't work out then, but it will work out now because I am telling you to do it. I am calling you to go back there and to forget about all the pain and regret of the past. I am speaking to you and calling you into that place. The Christian life begins with saying yes to Jesus, but that's not the only yes. You keep saying yes right throughout your marriage. I tell couples when I'm doing marriage prep that, that a wedding doesn't make a marriage. <laughs> your I will, it's not I do, it's I will at a wedding, is only the beginning. And you will say I will every day for the rest of your life together. And that initial yes to Jesus is great, but that is just the beginning. Because Jesus then tells them this, go deeper. Go deeper and go further. See, the initial yes is Jesus getting into our boat. The initial yes is Jesus coming into our life. But that is not where Jesus wants to leave us. He wants to take us further. and He wants to take us deeper. And maybe for some of you the last 18 months has shown what you thought was a deep faith is actually pretty shallow. Maybe you've been following Christ for many years but when the last 18 months hit you realised that your faith fell apart. It wasn't deep enough and strong enough to sustain you. You know all the worship songs, you've been around church but there wasn't something deeper than that. And what God is calling his church to in this time is to go deeper. There is a sifting happening in the church, but he is sifting away the shallowness and the superficiality. And he is asking his people, will you go deeper with me? I don't want a shallow, superficial church. I don't want people who are only following me on the surface. I want people who are fully devoted and committed. Not perfect, but fully devoted and committed. Because how many of us know there's a difference between dating and being married? And many of us are happy to date the church. And many of us are happy to date Jesus. We just don't want to fully commit. When you get married, you're cutting off all your options. And there's a reason why the church is called the bride of Christ. Not the girlfriend of Christ. Because we are a people who are fully committed and fully devoted to him. And marriage brings different responsibilities, but it also brings different blessings. The deeper your relationship, and not just in marriage, in any relationship, the good stuff is in the deep. You know, you can have 100,000 Facebook friends, but the good ones are the deep ones. You can have lots of conversations with friends and spouse or whatever, but the good ones that you'll remember are the deep ones. Because the good stuff is always in the deep. And right now God is calling us into the deep. As a church, as, a, as individuals. God is asking you, will you go deeper? Because a lot of us are still at the shoreline. We've, got into, we've let Jesus into the boat, but we're not moving away from the shore. We're splashing about in picky pool, but we're not swimming in the sea and it's convenient and it's comfortable here. But obedience is not found when it's convenient and it's comfortable. Obedience is found when you don't want to do something. You see, when I want to do something, or when it's easy, or when there's no sacrifice or no cost, that isn't real obedience. If I want to do what God is asking me to do, that doesn't take obedience, that's just self-interest. But what happens when God says, go here and I want to go here? When God says, do that, but I want to do that. When God says, give this much, but I want to hold on to it. That's when we discover who is really Lord of our lives. Not in the convenient, easy, comfortable moments, but in the moments where Jesus says, I want you to go deeper than you've been. I want you to go further than you've been. I want you to commit more than you've been. And you go, I just kind of like it back here in the shore. One of the most heartbreaking things, there's two One is watching couples who have been married for 50 years who have never gone deeper than the surface. And two is watching Christians who have been Christians for a long time who have never gone deeper than the surface. God is calling us deeper and he's calling us further. And here's the thing, the good stuff is in the deep. But obedience isn't always popular. Obedience isn't always politically correct, particularly in this day and age. Obedience will not always get you applause from the crowds. You know, Becky and I got a prophetic word from a friend a while ago. And I don't know if it was accurate or not, time will tell. But he he, he just shared that God was going to ask us to take a step of faith and sacrifice that it was going to be costly. and But we would do it, we would know because we were willing to pay the price that it was God. And i would be honest, I was a bit peeved as I left that friend because I didn't want that word. Sacrificing costly is not enough. You know, I kind of wanted a, Prosperity and blessing, word, you know, whatever you put your hand to, the Lord will prosper. Like, that's the kind of word I wanted. And I was driving home, and it's just a bit paved, it's a bit grumpy. Hard to believe. And I said to Becky, I didn't really like that. And she went, Craig, that's just been our life. Our life has just been doing stuff that we don't want to do sometimes, like the big decisions. I know I joke about this sometimes, but I didn't want to come here. And I didn't want to go to Lurgan when I went to Lurgan. And I didn't want to go to Dublin when I went to Dublin. I didn't want to go to Lurgan because I'm from Portadown. And for those of you watching online, just research it. And I'd heard the songs at the Portadown games about what you do in Lurgan, in your slums. And uh, I didn't want to go to Dublin because I was from Portadown. And I didn't want to come to Craig Alvin because I was from You guessed it, put it down. But in the end, our response had to be this. It doesn't make sense. I don't want to do it. But because you're asking Jesus, I'll do it. And here's what I've discovered. Obedience always brings blessing. It may not be tangible or it may not be immediate, but when you obey what God is asking you to do, he will bless your obedience. We see that the entire way through Scripture, from the Old Testament right through to the end of Revelation, when God asks you to do something, when you obey the Word of God, He brings blessing. That blessing will show up in all sorts of different ways, tangible and intangible, material and immaterial. But God says, when you obey me, I will bless you. And when you disobey me, I lift my blessing off you. And I would rather be uncomfortable. I would rather be frustrated in obedience and grumpy in obedience and even not overly excited about obedience than be disobedient. Because God will even bless grumpy obedience. He will. Just because it feels good doesn't make it right. There was a song years ago. And most of us go, it feels good, so it must be God. No, sometimes God will ask you to do things at the time that don't feel especially good. But as you obey him, you will see blessing. And so you have to make a choice. Will I stay in the shallow end or will I go to the deep end? Look at what we read in verses 6 and 7. When they had done so, when they'd gone into the deep, when they'd obeyed Jesus, when they'd let down their nets, They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Small acts of obedience can lead to great blessing. They simply did what Jesus asked them to do. And not only did they catch some fish, they catch so many fish. And I have said this, our God is a God of abundance. I never want you to think I'm a prosperity preacher. But the biggest issue in Northern Ireland is not prosperity preaching. It's a poverty spirit. Our God is a God of abundance. There is no lack in him. There is no shortage in him. And there's no supply chain issues in him. Our God is a God of lavish abundance. But he will bless obedience. It doesn't mean your life will be perfect or problem-free, but you will experience God's blessing on your life when you obey. And can I say, when you live in disobedience to God, you will be miserable. There is nothing more miserable than a disobedient Christian. And if you're feeling stuck today, let me ask you this. What's the last thing God told you to do, and have you done it? Because most of us aren't stuck. We've just stopped because we weren't willing to obey the last thing that God has told us to do because we didn't like it. And so their problem was this. Their problem before had been no fish. Now they've got a different problem. The nets are beginning to break. There's so many fish. And here's what I found. That all throughout life you will have different levels of problems. And some of them will be problem problems and some of them will be good problems. Like what would you prefer? Their problem before was empty nets. Now they're breaking nets. I'd prefer the second problem. Still a problem, but you know what I call that? A high quality problem. When you obey God, sometimes his blessing won't immediately look like blessing. It might look like a burden and a problem. Because when God gives you more responsibility, when God asks you to step up, when God asks you to do something new, it feels uncomfortable The nets were beginning to stretch. There was tension. It felt like they were breaking. And sometimes when God asks you to step into that new job, that new role, that new relationship, whatever it is, it will feel tense. It will feel like you're breaking. But maybe the breaking and the tension isn't a bad thing. Maybe it's just God stretching you and expanding you and enlarging you and doing something new in you we tend to shy away from tension. We tend to shy away from that, 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 that stretching. And yet sometimes, in fact, any time God asks us to do something new, it's stretching us because it's something we haven't done before. It's somewhere we haven't been before. I remember when we moved to the Causeway Coast Vineyard. I had been preaching at that stage for 10, oh, well, I'd been preaching since I was 16. But at that stage, I'd been preaching for 24. Five years. But the first time I stood on that stage and looked out at a thousand adults sitting there looking at me, can I say I felt tension? I felt stretching. On Easter Sunday and on Christmas when I preached at 2,000 adults, I felt tension and I felt stretching. Even though I'd been doing it for years, it was new and it was stretching me. And God will often bring tension and stretching into your life not to harm you, but to grow you. Because the tension and stretching is not a sign maybe that you're doing something bad. Maybe it's a sign actually that you've stepped into the new and you're doing something right. They've gone from empty nets to breaking nets. You know, we have a problem here in Hope and we've had it for a few years. We don't have enough space. And that's a problem, but you know what I call that? A high quality problem. Because here's the other problem we could have that we have no kids in church, we have no young people in church, we have no teenagers in church. And actually, we have no regular people. You're the regular people in church. That's a problem that a lot of my peers and friends have here in ministry. I would rather have this problem than their problem. They're both problems, but I call this a high-quality problem. And here's what I love. It says... That the nets were almost breaking. There were so many fish. And then they call their buddies, Peter and or, or James and John, across, their partners. I love that they've got partners, fishing partners. We're a church of partnership. We partner with different people in the area. They call their partners and they haul in fish as well. And there's so many fish, it says their boat began to sink. It almost sank. The nets almost broke. The boats almost sank. Did the nets break? No. Did the boat sink? No. And some of us in our lives are experiencing a tension and a pressure and it feels like we're at breaking point. It feels like we're sinking. But I want to say to you, if you are walking in obedience to Jesus, you will not break and you will not sink. It may feel like you're going under, it may feel like you're falling apart, but if you are walking in obedience to the word of God, you will not break and you will not sink. It may feel like a stretch, the tension may feel unbearable, but I want to say to you that you will not go under. And sometimes what you think is a break in point is actually your breakthrough. This breaking point, the tension and the stretching was actually the biggest catch of fish they've ever had. And sometimes what we think is where we're breaking and where we're sinking is actually the biggest blessing God has poured into our lives. And I love that because two years ago, we were at breaking point and sinking point here. Our second service was completely jammed with far more seats than we have now. Because we didn't have social distancing. Our first service was 75% full. And I was going, I have no idea what we're going to do. Because people were coming every week. We were growing every week. But we didn't have a new building. And the Lord spoke to me through this passage actually about two years ago. And he said, you will almost sink and you will almost break. But I won't let you sink and break. Keep taking them in. And then March 2020 hit. And that thinned things out in the ground for a bit. And while none of us wanted that and none of us chose it, it gave us breathing space. It gave us time to build a new youth building, a new kids building out there. It gave us time to continue to accumulate money for a deposit when we find a building. It looked like we were going to break and it looked like we were going to sink, but we didn't. Because Jesus knew our capacity and he knew that he has somewhere for us in the future. Let me finish up. When Simon Peter saw this, verses 8 to 10, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished. God wants to astonish some of you again. Some of you who are bored and just feeling like your Christian life's a bit dull. God wants to astonish you again at the minute. But that begins with obedience. Obedience. His companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. They have this huge bumper catch of fish, and Peter's response is not immediately to start saying, Jesus, will you come with us tomorrow and do this all over again? He falls at Jesus' feet. He falls at Jesus' and He falls on his knees. and It's a position of worship, and he calls him Lord. He recognizes that this is no ordinary teacher. This is no ordinary man. This is no ordinary carpenter. He calls him Lord, that there's something different about this man. He falls in worship. And you know, I'm not, I have never, and one thing I tell people who come here, I say don't tell people to raise their hands, okay? Because that's just, if you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. But we're not going to be a church that tells you how to worship, okay? But what I do see all through scripture is this, worship is expressed in more than just lips. It can be expressed in serving. And giving, but it will also be expressed in your body. Kneeling, raising your hands, whatever that looks like, whatever that looks like for you. As you go all through scripture, anytime someone encounters God and worships, it affects not just their lips, their body actually changes. They kneel, they fall on their faces, they raise their hands, they give a shout. And Simon falls on his knees before God, before Jesus. And he says, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. In that moment, Simon is so aware of his failures and his flaws, his weaknesses, all the stuff that he knows is inside him. And he says, Jesus, you don't want me. You don't want me. And when you think about Peter as he went on, I wouldn't have picked him either from my 12 disciples. He wasn't the most promising student. He was always saying the wrong thing. He had fit and mouth disease. Chopping off ears, denying Jesus. But you know what? If I'd have been Jesus, I wouldn't have picked Craig Cooney either. As I look around me at the people who I grew up with and the people who I've known throughout the years, I would have picked all of them before me, or many of them anyway. Because here's the thing. I know what's inside me more than you know what's inside me. And I would have disqualified myself a long, long time ago from this. And here's the thing. You know what's inside you more than I know what's inside you. And you would disqualify yourself too. But there's a greater reality than this. Because Jesus knows what's inside you and what's inside me more than we do. And yet he says, I choose you. I choose you. I know about your addiction and I choose you. I know about your failure. I know about your struggles. I know about your depression. I know about your your that relationship that went wrong. I know about your divorce. I know about your anxiety. I know that you're not that academically strong. I know that you say the wrong thing sometimes. I know that you've got a potty mouth sometimes. I know that, but I choose you. I choose you. And I would have ruled myself out so long ago. And I just think Jesus wants to remind us today that He chose us. Peter wasn't looking for Jesus, Jesus chose Him. And you might feel like you're disqualified. You might feel like you're unqualified. You might feel like you're not good enough, not holy enough. You don't read your Bible enough. You don't pray enough. You're too sinful. You're too impure. You shouldn't be looking at things. And all of that is true. But you know what the greater reality is? Jesus sees inside you and he says, I choose you. I choose you. And this is Simon. But by the end of the passage, he calls him Simon Peter. And later he becomes Peter. He looks at Simon the fisherman and he sees the Peter, the rock. And he says, I will make you a fisher of men. And he looks at you. And he sees you as you are right now, but he also sees what's inside you. And he says, if you follow me, I will make you. I will make you more than you are. I will deal with that area if you follow me. I will, I will sort out that thing if you follow me. I see it and I choose you. Follow me and I will make you. I want to finish with a story. It's one of my favorites. Some of you might have heard me tell it before but it's just a sense of God choosing us. I really felt, I didn't even tell this in the first service. I really feel there's something that, that we rule ourselves out because we we're waiting for some future perfect, better version of ourselves, and then God can use us. And I want to tell you right now, as messed up as you feel, God doesn't want to leave you there, but he will use you where you are. He chose you. Little girl called Mary had grown up knowing she was different from the other kids, and she hated it. She was born with a cleft palate and had to bear the jokes and stares of cruel children who teased her non-stop about her misshaped lip, her crooked nose, her garbled speech. With all the teasing, Mary grew up hating the fact that she was different. She was convinced that no one outside her family could ever love her until she entered Mrs. Leonard's class. Mrs. Leonard had a warm smile, a round face and a shiny brown hair. While everyone in her class liked her, Mary came to love Mrs. Leonard. In the 1950s, it was common for teachers to give their children an annual hearing test. However, in Mary's case, in addition to her cleft palate, she was barely able to hear out of one ear. Determined not to let the other children have another difference to point out, she would cheat on the test each year. The whisper test was given by having a child walk into the cl- Walk to the classroom door, turn sideways with close one ear with a finger, and then repeat something the teacher whispered. Mary turned her bad ear towards her teacher and pretended to cover her good ear. She knew that the teachers would often say things like The sky is blue or what colour are your shoes? But not on that day. On that day surely God put seven words in Mrs Leonard's mouth that changed Mary's life forever. When the whisper test came, Mary heard the words, I wish. I wish you were my little girl. And Mary was never the same again. And God would say, I choose you. I see the mess. I see the failure. I see the flaws. But I will make you so much more. Come. Come follow.